0: God, I thank you that you are in the chaos and you are in the innovation and you are bigger and wider and deeper than anything we can imagine. And you are the head of this church. And so would you even now quiet our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear your word? Would you, in your mercy and your kindness, speak again today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we are going to dip out of the New Testament. We've been kind of living in Ephesians and John, and we're going to go someplace unexpected. Because that's what the lectionary likes to do. We're going to go to 2 Samuel 18. So if you are somebody who carries a Bible either on your phone or in your, po- you, know, a, a, you know, the real thing, quote-unquote, uh, grab it out. Turn to 2 Samuel 18, um, and we're going to read different portions of this to kind of condense it down. Uh, and so we're going to start at verse 5. Now let me set a brief context. David and his troops are about to go to war with his son Absalom and Absalom's troops. So that's where we start. We're gonna begin reading at verse five. And the king, David, commanded Joab, Abishai, and Attiah, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. And David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel And the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. There, Israel's troops were routed by David's men. And the casualties that day were great. 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside. And the forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding on his mule. And as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak... Absalom's hair got caught in the tree, and he was left hanging in midair, while the mule he was riding kept on going. Now we're going to jump ahead to verse 14, and I think actually the, the scripture is no longer on the screen, so just listen well. Now at this point, Joab, who was one of the commanders, said, I'm not going to wait around like this. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And 10 of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. And now we're going to fast forward one more time to verse 31. Then the Cushite arrived and said, My lord, the king, Hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hand of all who rose up against you. And the king asked the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? And the Cushite replied, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. And the king was shaken he went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I have a confession to make, which, you know, probably pastors shouldn't do, but God annoys me sometimes, like a lot. Uh, and this is one of those occasions. Now, my practice is that if I'm going to preach on a Sunday morning, I normally, the Sunday afternoon, the week before, sit down to read the passages, just to start getting them kind of worked into my soul and, um, you know, let them marinate for the week. And this Sunday, the lectionary gave us five, it gave me five passages to choose from five. Normally there's four. It threw in this bonus weird chapter that we just read, 2 Samuel 18. But there were other great passages available. I mean, there was John, and there was a passage from Ephesians, and there was a psalm. And uh, no matter how hard I tried, I kept coming back to this passage. And every time I felt like the Spirit was like think about this passage. I was like, no, that's dumb. It's a terrible passage. I mean, it's awful. And so I'd like try to study John some more, and then I'd find myself thinking again about 2 Samuel 18. And so finally, I decided, all right, I am going to try and lean in to this passage. And as I did, I realized I was very annoyed with almost all of the characters except one, And so I'm gonna invite you into my journey of annoyance and frustration and what God did in that for me. And hopefully it'll provide some encouragement for you this morning. Now, I think it's important to create just a little bit of context because part of what's annoying about this passage is that we get dumped into the climax of a story that's been going on for like four chapters. All right, this saga of the story of David and his son, Absalom. And uh, I just want to start by saying it is a hot mess of generational dysfunction at its finest. I mean, it is a wreck. And so if you think your family is messed up, welcome to the Bible. It's one of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible does not sugarcoat reality. It sort of lets it be in all of its mess and glory. And the story really starts when Absalom kills his older brother to avenge his sister's honor. Now, he, uh, I think, rightly is offended by some things that have happened to his sister. And David doesn't address it. David lets his oldest son off the hook. And because of that, Absalom decides, if he's not going to do it, I am. And so he takes matters into his own hands, and he kills his brother. Now, that earns him banishment for a couple of years. And so for a couple of years, Absalom and David don't speak. Absalom is sent out into the hinterlands. Finally, he comes back. David allows him to come back, but he won't talk to his son, okay? So you, this is the silent treatment on steroids, it really is, okay? So now they're in the same country, but they're not speaking. Finally, kind of intermer- an intermediary arranges, and they speak, and there's sort of reconciliation, but I would argue not really. Um, but, but they're back, in, at least in the same space. Here's the thing about Absalom. Absalom is handsome, and he's smooth, and he's likable. And he's vain. And he's violent. And he wants to be the king. And so Absalom actually sets in motion a coup, really. Uh, In fact, the writer of 2 Samuel says he won the hearts of the people of Israel. And he gathers together a whole uh, army of people to attack Jerusalem. Now, at this point, David says, you know what, son? You want the crown? You want to be the king? Okay. And, and actually, David gathers his people and flees the city so that Absalom can become king. Um, it's, it, you would think that maybe that would be enough for Absalom, but it's not. Absalom, it becomes very clear, is only going to stop when David is dead. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't get more tawdry than this. I have skipped details, people. Details that involve like Game of Thrones kind of stuff. You really should go back and read these four or five chapters. It's ugly. Absalom is a complete jerk. And this is betrayal at the highest level. And so we finally arrive at 2 Samuel 18, which begins with David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. All right, now, now order's about to be restored. I was like, good. David has decided enough is enough. It is time to deal with this. He's tried everything to keep the peace right? He's, flee- he's fled Jerusalem. He's tried to make it possible. He's not pushing back. But there is a time and a place, and David hits it right here, where he says, okay, we have to say this is not okay now. And I like that. I think there's truth in that, right? There are moments. Ephesians 4 talks about we have to—there's a place where we have to speak truth. And so he sends out the troops, and says, I am the rightful king. It's time. And so I'm good with that. Until, until David's first sentence, did you catch it? He says to his commanders in front of everybody, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. Say what? I I don't know about you, but that feels weird to me. In front of his, like, by the way, guys, I'm sending you out to war, but I want you to be gentle with Absalom for my sake. I mean, who does that? Who does that? See, I, I am a fan of justice, of poetic justice, and it doesn't get more poetic than this. I mean, here's Absalom, right? Hanging from his hair in a tree. I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, if you imagine the sound effect of the movie, right? You know, he's got the mule, and then he gets caught, right? I mean, it's not more poetic than this. And I think the truth is, is Americans, we love poetic justice, where bad things happen to the bad person, right? Watch any Disney movie you want. It's all about poetic justice. The villain gets their due, right? Ursula gets, you know, thwacked by Eric. It's why we love Twitter, right? We love watching people take each other down. It's why John Wick movies grossed $600 million worldwide. We love poetic justice. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes when I'm sitting with a passage... I try to put myself into the shoes of the different characters, all right? It's a way of sort of trying to see the story from different angles. And so I was getting annoyed with David. So I was like, I'm gonna put myself in somebody else's shoes. And so I tried on Joab's shoes. And I'm gonna be honest, I liked Joab's shoes. Can I get an amen in the house? I mean, here's the thing, because Joab's shoes, I mean, that guy's the hero of the story, really, right? He sees what Absalom has been doing. He understands how evil it is. He sees how vain and violent and power-hungry and what a jerk Absalom has been. And he does something about it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm drawn to that, right? If, if, again, if this were a movie, the moment Absalom takes those javelins, we'd all be like, yes! Yes! Justice. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I suspect maybe a few of us in the room would do that. We love it when anger is met with righteous anger. And oh, by the way, my anger is always righteous because I'm always right or not. (laughs) I better be careful. I'm going to look for lightning here in a couple minutes, right? But that's how we feel, right? We justify our anger because we're right. And sometimes we even are right. We love the strong. We love the, okay, so maybe it goes a little far by taking three javelins instead of one. But, you know, he got caught up in the passion of the moment. The trouble is, I couldn't shake contrasting that with David, right? David, because David had the audacity to imagine that the conflict could end in repentance and reconciliation. David had the audacity to hold strength and compassion together. David balanced conviction and empathy in a way that I frankly don't want to. David held the line between his humanity and what was right. And I was thinking about the other passage that the lectionary had invited us into. It's Ephesians 4. It says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Uh, All. Did you hear that? It's like, really? There's not an exception? (laughs) Because I really like the loophole right now. And then it got worse because I realized David looks a lot like Jesus. Who, even as he was hanging on a cross, prayed, Deal gently with them, God. They don't know what they're doing. and then I realized in that moment I wanted to be Joab I didn't want to be David and there was one set of shoes I still hadn't put on yet did you catch it? yeah it's Absalom's shoes And I realized that actually I'm a lot more like Absalom than anybody else in the story. Oh, I didn't kill anybody last week. You can breathe sigh of ease, but I'll tell you in my heart, I probably wanted to be honest. I got the news about the CDC mask mandates and I wanted to kill somebody. And I say that half-jokingly and with conviction in my soul. I, uh, I've used people this week for my own purposes. I've chosen myself over others. And I for sure have wanted to rule my own kingdom rather than submit to a king. Hands down. And I can justify it, right? Like Absalom. Because here's the thing. Absalom, I think all of that came out of his wounding and hurt. And he, rather than taking that wounding and hurt to God, he embraced it. And it fueled him. And it made it okay to do all of these other things. And it justified him. And I like that feeling. which is why I need a Heavenly Father who is able to forgive even the most heinous sin. I need a love that can see past my rebellion and my selfishness and my desire to rule my own life. I need a King who doesn't simply cry out, if only I had died instead of you. I need a king who actually did die so that I could live. To bring that poetic justice so that I could be reconciled and forgiven. Friends, David's cry for Absalom is David's cry for you. Is God's cry for you? And David is a picture God did what David could not and today that means that I can receive an immeasurable undeserved mercy and so can you I want to be Joab I am Absalom and I'm called to be David And so are you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray even right now. Um, Would you help us to put on Joab's shoes for a minute? Even though... uh, We're a little bit ashamed to wear them. God, would you convict us of places where we have held on to a righteous anger and we have lashed out and felt good about it. God, we love the power of that kind of anger and forgive us for it. Pray that even now God we would repent and just look to you. And then God I pray that you would help us put on Absalom's shoes for just a minute. And would you show us in your mercy ways that we have rebelled against you and your leadership in our lives the ways we've taken care of ourselves and demanded our own way for ways we've been violent with our anger or we've used people around us god i thank you that The truth of your grace is that all we have to do is turn and say we're sorry. And that mercy, that unbelievable mercy comes again. And so even now, I pray that we would sense that promise and truth. That you, when we deserve justice, weep over us instead that your love is that wide and that deep. And then I pray that that love would pour into us so that we could put on David's shoes and we could deal compassionately and be gentle, even as we hold our convictions. That we could, by your power and your power alone, have mercy for people we disagree with, for people we want to despise, for the people that we want to hate. Help us. Thank you, God, for a mercy that is deeper than we could fathom. A mercy that makes us uncomfortable and annoyed (laughs) until we need it. Help us to receive that kind of mercy and then be agents of that kind of mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.